Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. A Scottish football podcast that isn't obsessed with just two teams, niche nonsense, or surprisingly brilliant. You decide. The Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. The cult Scottish football podcast now adapted into a hit TV show. Search the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast on your chosen podcast player now. And welcome to Footballistically Arsenal. I am Boyd Hilton. He is Josh Landy. Yellow striped vision. Yeah, I hadn't overly thought my dress code for today, having barely left the house, if I'm entirely honest. Same, you left the same. house today? No, I haven't left the house. I have not even not left the house today in tier two. I, uh, I haven't even been outside my front door, I mean, of my building to check the post or anything. So there could be a really important thing in the post and I don't even know. I'm that I'm, I'm, I'm living that dangerously, Josh. Yeah, that is bold. Do you get a lot of posts still or? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What still? What you mean? Like, well, I don't or? know. I just feel like important documents. You just now you get your bank stuff online. You know what, what, what's so important you're getting in the post board. I get like DVDs and Blu-rays and books like Arsene Wenger, my life in red and white, my autobiography, which we're coming back to coming on to later. Fair enough. Um, crucial. Well, your maybe like it sounds that. like your post postman is one of the busiest in England. Then he is a bit busy. You. He is a bit busy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, we are joined by a uh, staunch regular guest uh, on for the first time in the, I would say in in lockdown period. Is that right, Raymond of Red Action Fame? You Raymond are My previous uh, guest spot was when was directly after that West Ham game where we last had crowds. Uh, where we sat around and previewed that uh, the infamous Man City game, which was then postponed after Mikel Arteta tested positive. So uh, that was the last time I was on. That was the last time I was on a train. It's all pretty different now. But here we are still talking about Arsenal. Thank God for that, yeah. Yeah, that is spooky, obviously. So we've got the Man City game to talk about, um, which happened uh, Saturday. We've got um, lots of interesting, controversial things happened in that game. Um, uh, we've got the book to talk about. Have we all read the book? Let me, let me, let me uh, have you read the book, Raymond? The Arsene Wenger book, I mean? I have not read the book, boys. Fair enough. I've, I've heard some of the reviews and they, they seem a little bit uh, like it seems a bit bland and maybe without, uh, without any particular scandal or scoops. I, I'm currently going through a bit of an aversion to Arsenal nostalgia. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm kind of um, preferring to live in the moment and look forward a little bit rather than, uh, <laughs> you know, certain sections of our fan base who, who prefer the exact opposite. So, oh, well, you're you're uh, on the right podcast then, because obviously yeah. I'm going to go on about the book later. I've, um, yeah, I've I've heard a lot about it and mm. uh, heard a lot of reviews and stuff like that. But uh, as far as I think, you know, the sensationalist nuggets about you know Mourinho or what happened with. Uh, Park Chi Young or what Fabregas did at the Grand Prix or all that. I think uh, they're all a bit thin on the ground from what I hear. Yeah, it's it's definitely not what definitely not warts and all, is it, Josh? <laughs> it's no warts well, and not all. You, 
you, you may be surprised, Bob. Even though I got my copy, I have have not read it yet. Um, what to my what to my shame? I know uh, possibly a sign of a, of a slightly busy work schedule at the moment. But what I would say is, it's been an absolute joy just to see Wenger doing so much media because he's so hidden, really, hasn't he? We don't see him. He's done a bit of B in sports, but you know, mm. we still never seen him on a Sky or a BT or or doing any of the mainstream media. So to see him on Graham Norton, I mean, you more than anyone, Boyd, must have been across all his uh, appearances, yeah, was, yeah. was great. I think and I David Ornstein did a great job. He was good on Graham Norton. Yeah, I think I broke that story on Twitter because that was my most, I think it was my most um, viral tweet ever when I announced, not officially because I don't work for the BBC, but I got the news that he was going to be on Graham Norton with Dawn French, Samuel L. Jackson, and um, uh, Michael Kuanuka, the excellent um, Mercury-winning musician. <coughs> um, and he was, and I thought he did a really good job, actually, of being um, being himself and being quite wryly funny. And, um, you know, yeah, he was good. He was very good on Graham. But I have watched a lot because he did the Palladium event. Raymond's going to love this this um, this deep dive into Austin Wenger nostalgia. Raymond, you're just going to have to part with it for a I'm bit. I'm fine with it. I'm fine okay. with it. Big fan of um, so he did the the interview um, with Dan Walker at the at the London Palladium last Monday, which was the official launch, I would say. And um, people had to pay good money. Yo, you did you go? No, no, but Luke, who was on with us, yes, wasn't Luke. he two weeks ago? He Luke was Kepner. paying uh, fifty-five pound for the Pricely uh, yeah. sum for him to sit with Tom Rose and Tall in the Box. He said, "Right." So he went, and I know a lot of people who went to that. And can I just say that? Um, it was that it was, you could pay for to watch it twenty quid just to watch it on on you know the video link, which I didn't do. But unbelievably, the company that um, whatever produced it allowed it to be available for free the next day, and I watched the whole thing for free the next day. I mean, they just did, and um, yeah, sounds, go on. Sounds like well, in a world where we're being asked to put our yeah. hand in our pocket for pay per view, it's nice to know that there was some free content out there that you could enjoy. Was this what Darren Arsenal? Yeah, I Darren saw Darren. Arsenal. Yeah, he mentioned yeah. it. It was down to him. Yeah, he, he mentioned it. And I checked, and he was absolutely right. And it was a massive cock-up, I, I assume, by the by, by someone. Um, but, you know, so I watched that. That was I watched that for free. Then he was on Today program. He was on um, – he's been on – you know, he's been on Radio 5. He's been, Dermot interviewed him. I think Dermot's interview – Dermot Lewis' interview hasn't gone out yet because he didn't do his show on Radio 2 this week. So I presume that will go out next week. Wow. Um, had a great time. Um, he was on Times Radio. I listened to that. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I've listened to a lot of him saying pretty much the same thing. But the best one of all, I have to say, we'll get on to the Man City game, don't worry. The best one of all was Ornstein, David Ornstein, have you, did on his other Arsenal podcast. In fact, his podcast he does for The Athletic, his general one he does. He interviewed him for 22 minutes, which was pretty much the standard. I think um, I think Times Radio had him about half an hour. I think Dermot had him for about 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And I have to say, it it did it did more than anything. It reminded you of what a brilliant journalist David Ornstein is. There's a reason why I think he's so admired and why he gets the scoops and all of that. He did. He asked a forensic series of questions, every single major question you'd want to know from Arsene Wenger, like you know, all right, you didn't. You couldn't spend that much money when the Emirates... He keeps saying in the book he built the Emirates, fine. But he talks about how he couldn't spend any money, pretty much. And, and you know, you know he's like, well, you could have spent more. And I'm paraphrasing. And he talks about how, you know, the 8-2 defeat, you know, was this kind of symbolic of the general collapse in our defence. And, then, you know, he asked him lots of very, very pertinent questions in a very charming way. And asked him, you know, kind of had to duck and... Duck and dive and dodge a few of them. It was very, it's very interesting. So if anyone hasn't heard that, I would recommend that. But the book itself, we'll get to, since we started the book. I'll finish the book just to say, I, when I first got it and I read about half of it, and I tweeted something. You know, I tweeted it. I think I was overexcited the fact that I got it. You know, a few days before it came out, and I said, you know, I thought it's very well written. It's very classy, as you'd expect from the man. It's a very reflection of him. It's co-written with a couple of French journalists and a translator. But it's kind of there's some beautiful turns of phrases in there. Um, like the way he talks about Mesut Ozil, for example, is a really like it's a lovely little kind of pen portrait of of Mesut Ozil. Um, and a lot, you know, most players get a kind of third of or to a half a page description. They're really good. And there's some really moving bits. Like he's he's, re, he's, de, he's devastated when David Dean leaves, and he talks about what a difficult period that was for him. That I thought I found that really interesting. And when he leaves or when he's forced out of the club, he, and he's very emotional, and you can you can kind of read the anger between the lines, but he does talk about 
that and that I found that moving. But as Raymond alluded to, quite rightly, it is absolutely not you know a full on what's and all. He doesn't famously Mourinho is not in the index. He's not mentioned whatsoever. Um, and Ferguson is mentioned because he's because obviously they've become quite friendly. Um, since that rivalry, but there's loads of bits in there. Gazidis, like, you know, gets a weird couple of mentions, you know, this kind of who took over from Dave, you know, there's lots of like, you can read into the omissions, in fact, almost more than he explicitly says, which is very him, I think. I think it does reflect, if I was going to psychoanalyze him, I think it does reflect his own. I'm going to use the word timidity in the latter period at Arsenal, generally in terms of buying players, tactics. You know, the way he set out the team and the book feels a bit timid. It feels very kind of, you know, withdrawn and not, you know, I don't know. There's some, there is something odd about that, which considering it's his autobiography and it's supposed to be, you know, I think if he'd have done a book like uh, uh, Ferguson did a book about winning, didn't he? If he'd done a themed book, but to to market this as his as his absolute autobiography and to not talk about a lot of things that you want him to talk about, I think is a disappointment. And I have to say, finally, my fun vote is 25 quid, right? I'm sure it's cheaper in lots of shops. It's 340 some pages. The last 80 pages of which are his career stats. And it's quite large print. And there's a lot of pictures. I mean, it's pretty much a long read, you know, that you get in like in the guardian or something rather than a book. But I think we've, we've all tried the big font, right. To try and uh, pad something out a little yeah. bit. There's no harm in that. Exactly. I think on that thing about um, there being kind of a lack of exclusive in there, I think all, all the rumors about all the kind of um, hatred of confrontation and the kind of avoiding yeah. conflict probably yeah. uh, shows itself in the book, perhaps in, in, in that context. I absolutely agree. And there's nothing wrong, you know, it's fine for him to be like that. And that's his, that's, that's who he is. And that's great. And, you know, he is really classy and he's very, and there's lots of very in, in, intelligent, but I think the problem for me is the, you know, if you're going to have a book that is your autobiography and to not, and to, to not, I mean, I'm very interested into the whole, what happened with the publishers. Cause usually when you sign, when celebrities sign book deals, the editors, you know, they're telling them they have to be honest and upfront and you have to do it. He must have said when he signed on to do this book with Weidenfeld and Nicholson publisher, he must have said, I'm just not going to be, it's not going to be Walton or you're just going to have to deal with it because that's the only explanation. But to be fair, Boyd, it didn't need to be to sell copies, right? We were all pre-ordering it so far in advance. Yeah. and. I, I, my copy turned up and I'd ordered off Waterstones, one of these signed copies. And I did put a tweet out because usually when you get a signed item and boys, you probably, your postman probably brings you several signed items a day, but usually it's a lovely black marker pen or something that feels, yeah. you know, significant and weighty. This looked like Wenger had found a five P biro and done a little scribble. Is the most disappointing autograph I've ever seen in my life. And just on opening that, I was already slightly disappointed. And then I'd seen online that the book really didn't have too much. But it doesn't matter. Even I, the autograph I, I, was I love the man. timid. Even yeah. the autograph was timid. Yeah. Arsenal fans define first world problems shock with yeah. below, yeah. par, uh, below par autograph in Arsene Wenger book of Bio. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. But it's true. true. That's interesting. It is true what everyone's been saying. The media appearances have been more interesting than the book. I mean, that is absolutely yeah. the case. You know, and but it's but like. Because he, David Ornstein asked him, didn't he, how he felt about yeah. so much media because he hadn't. And he, his basic answer was, I wanted to get it all done really quickly so I can get back to working for FIFA. And it has just been this whistle stop of, of, of seeing him around again. But yeah, David Ornstein did uh, ter terrifically well. And there was that moment, wasn't it, where David asked him if, if he'd cried since... Yeah. Since leaving, and he sort of sort of said he hadn't cried, but obviously felt very emotional um, at different points. But um, you know, clearly, no coming back to watch. Even if we were having fans in the stadiums, it didn't sense at all that there's you know a trip to the Emirates on the cards. No, uh, yeah, he, that, he's very sensitive about that, isn't he? He's very sensitive about the fact that he hasn't, you know, he hasn't been back and can't and feels he can't go back and all of that, which is fair enough. But I, I'm sure he will eventually, especially now. He's very, he's very, um, he, he literally doesn't mention Unai Emery. That's another, he absolutely glosses over and goes on to celebrate Arteta getting the job. And he's very well, fulsome. I'm all for that, I think. No, yeah, I mean, fair that. enough. Yeah, fair enough. He's fulsome in his praise for Arteta and pretty much says Arsenal can now compete for the league and like the Champions League just because of Arteta. 
and that it's pretty you know more or less you know what we might get onto that quite that that, is, that opinion anything else to say about the book even though you haven't read it josh any other questions you well, have for me? No, I, I, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, if you were doing a book review on it out of 10, are you, are you willing to give it even half marks? Is it five for you? Yeah, I think I'd probably give it six. I mean, it is well written. It's probably better written, you know, in terms of just turns of phrases. And, you know, there's a certain poetry occasionally, you know, which you have to credit him and his writers. So from that point of view, I'd say I'd credit it with that. And I think I think if you're an Arsenal fan, it's a six, six and a half. I think if you're not, you know, I have non-Arsenal fans have said to me, you know, I, I'd probably buy that. And I'm like, well, you should not bother because honestly, unless you have a fascination with Monaco and um, Grampus 8 and how a little boy growing up in a small village, you know, felt drawn to football, um, I wouldn't bother getting it. Yeah, but I would say six out of ten. It's, it is disappointing. It's, you know, you think what could have been. But that's who he is. I think we all said it. I remember when it was announced, I think we talked about it on the podcast. We're like, we, I think, we, you know, you'd be amazed if he, but it's almost like even more kind of, you know, <laughs> even less revelatory than one might have hoped. Anyway, let's move on to uh, the present day, Raymond, <laughs> you'll be excited to know. And the Man City match. Now, I want to begin by, with this Man City um, match by saying, I just thought the, I did think that, oh, Josh disappeared. Josh disappeared. We'll carry on. Oh, there he is. Um, I, 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 this is, I felt like more critical about Arteta. You know, I love him. I'm very excited about him. I think he's doing a brilliant job. But I felt this, for, for me, like the team selection, the William in the middle, what the fuck was up with that? The, the, um, the whole approach, I felt slightly wrong-headed like it was overthinking it which i know is the thing a lot of people level at pep obviously guardiola his his mentor i thought he was trying to out pep pep in a way and i thought mm. pep out pepped him what did you think raymond i thought the tactics were a bit weird william through the middle uh, clearly didn't work he took a long time to change it as well so to try something as new as that uh, you know with a play relatively new to his um, his systems in such a big game such a tough game on paper i thought was a big risk and it clearly didn't come off the one nil is, is clearly some progress. Uh, at the end of the day, it's still zero points. So you know we can. I guess you can find a positive there if you look really, really hard. We were in the game till the end, but we just never really looked like like going for it. You know, a couple of nice little situations at the end of the first half, a um, couple of decent saves from the goalie, um, but that was it really. Second half, we never, we just never really got going. And I know City are a good team, and they probably did that to us, but um, we just couldn't really get anything going. Uh, you know, Sabaros couldn't create anything. Um, you know, we're just on the back foot and kind of, I was kind of sitting there just waiting for us to let in the second goal, to be honest. So I think it's some kind of progress when you look at the stats. Uh, but like I say, it's it's another defeat. You know, so much for playing uh, Anfield and away to City early doors when, when the uh, stadiums are empty. We still got zero points from both games. So um, I think there was improvements in both. But, you know, it, it's another defeat. But... It's a game that's out of the way now. We don't have to worry about City away or Liverpool away for the rest of the season. So uh, we've got some less tough games coming up. Well, hopefully we can start to stack some points. We're not competing with City and Liverpool. That, that, that's no. the reality. Yeah. We are the, it, yeah. with the other teams to qualify for the Champions League. They will almost certainly finish first and second, in which order I'm not sure I care. Um, but, you know, we need to be taking points off United and Leicester and Tottenham and Everton and, and, and other teams like that. And I'm sure we will in, in some coming games. Josh, do you think, I think the um, that stat that gets trotted out about us, you know, we haven't won a game, away game at a top big six club for 10,000 years, is so baked in, isn't it, to, into our, like, into the personality of, of the club, of the team now. That's gone through various managers, loads of different players, loads of different squads, and we still, you know, can't beat one of these teams away. And I felt like our performance, that some of the players, I almost thought they were, pl but playing for a draw, even though we were 1-0 down, it was like they were, like, kind of just trying to keep, keep the stability and solidity of our, of our formation or whatever without really kind of going for it. And I wonder whether that's a reflection of Arteta or of, or of the fear of or just the kind of lack of confidence in playing these teams away. Yeah, it's amazing, this record away at the big six. I, I was actually there at, at Man City in January 2015, I think it was. I remember being right at the front. And I've got a friend, uh, Nathan, who I went to that game with. 
And without fail, every time we're away at the Big Six, we message each other now to reflect on the fact that it's been two years, three years, four years, five years, and you know we are we are probably not that far away from six years in January. About and we just cannot believe it that it was, wasn't it? Kazula and then a, a really nice header from Olivia Giroud. And I think back to, for example, the trip to Wembley when we played against Spurs in the league and. Was it, you know, do we do we miss the penalty? What happened at the end? The Lacazette, you know, we, we had a real moment to to go and get this off our backs. We we've had, you know, good performances away at Chelsea, that goal from Martinelli. There's been glimmers, but somehow we haven't managed to do it, despite, you know, as you say, Wenger, then then Emery, um, and now Arteta being at the helm. I felt that it, it was interesting that they were talking about it in the Sky Studio after. And Sol was being quite critical um, about Arsenal not showing more intent in the last you know period of the game and not doing enough to go forward. And Micah, who I'm who I'm biased about, I guess working with him, was sort of making the point that Arsenal were, were following the manager's or, uh, orders, dug in, and were doing what was asked of them and trying to find a way to stay into the game. And if you actually analyse the chances we did create in the game. Saka's opportunity is absolutely exceptional. Aubameyang's a, a wonderful opportunity. And on balance, I think we've put in enough of a performance to to get a point from the game. And I don't think Arsenal going gung-ho against Man City, I don't know if we're good enough to do that. I think we were good enough to do what we did. It's so nearly worked to get us a point. And I'm not going to get too disappointed about it. Yeah, I wouldn't say gung-ho. I think there's a difference between... I feel like there's a... Um... The way that I think, first of all, I have to, you know, the whole, the, the team selection thing, the William, the whole William thing, William's in danger for me of becoming the new Mkhitaryan in the sense that, you know, he's like a, he's like a forward who did a really good first game. And now he's very, he can play anywhere up, you know, in, in the kind of forward positions, wide or central, like, he, but to what effect? I mean, no effect whatsoever. He was absolutely shockingly pointless, I thought, much the same way Mkhitaryan became. And I just feel like it's, it's, if he's really going to stick with picking him almost every game at the expense of, you know, the Nketiahs and the Lacazettes and the, and, I mean, I know, I know um, Pepe played, but it, I found that a bit worrying. And B, Raymond, this is, I think, I feel like it's, an, it's almost a big philosophical question here, isn't there, Was which is everything. We are the stable team in the league. We've got the second best defence. We are not, we never look like we're going to completely collapse. Everyone else in this crazed season so far, pretty much everyone, apart from maybe the top, very top two at the moment, feel like they they can let in six, seven goals or three in 10 minutes. You know, Chelsea and Spurs both drew three all at the weekend. We're like a model of stability and that's great. And, and a lot of people point out that, you know, actual title winning challenges are based on solidity and particularly defensiveness. And it all starts with the defense. And of course, that's what happened with, with George Graham and Arsene Wenger at the beginning. So maybe that is, this is the way. On the other side, do you say, well, yeah, but... We're having shockingly few shots on goal. We had three shots on target at the game on Saturday. And generally this season, we have fewer shots than most teams, you know, including teams down the bottom. Which way do you fall on that argument? I think the first thing you've got to do is you've got to be hard to beat. So, mm. you know, with a bit of a mess we were in when Arteta came in is that we were conceding all those shots on target, all those goals, and we were losing, we were losing quite a lot of league games. So um, I think the, the way the formation is and all that is, is built up initially to be more solid at the back, clean sheets, maybe concede one, that kind of stuff. And it is affecting us going forward with the numbers that we've got, uh, the formation. We're not creating the chances. You can see that in the stats. And it's almost everything, it's that real Goldilocks thing. Everything has to be just perfect for us mm. to have a good attacking uh, attacking performance. And it very, very rarely is. We're not really taking chances, you know, uh, kind of, um, you know, taking early shots and, and shots from distance and stuff. It's, it's yeah, it is back to the kind of the in intricacies. I like to call it dicking around on the edge of the box, <laughs> which often comes to nothing. Uh, and, yeah, we had, a, we had a couple of great chances on Saturday. And really at that level, you've got to take them. The Saka one I thought was a great save, although a bit lucky for it to hit Edison on the shoulder and then the one that Bamiang was flagged offside but it, um, had he scored then we, we definitely would have got it I think you just got to put those away so I think even you know if we created three uh, three shots and targets we could have easily had two goals there were two excellent chances yeah and we, we could be talking different but um, it is a concern with the lack of creati creativity that we've got 
the talk about Partey is that when he comes in and he starts to play regularly, we'll move to a back four, which then gives an extra man in midfield, and et cetera, et cetera, apparently leads, will apparently lead to more creativity. We, we will wait and see on that. Um, but solid at the back, um, but pretty boring to watch in attack, to be honest, um, with, with, you know, pretty low shots and, and obviously goals are pretty disappointing as well. So definite room for improvement from an attacking yeah. point of view. Yeah, it was it was it was generally quite a boring game, wasn't it? But like enlivened by every now and then, like the Saka the near the Saka chance was a brilliant move. Like as you say, it's like the moves are so pre are so meticulous that when they come off, they're kind of they're amazing. They're, it's brilliant to see when it, but it is literally like three moments per match almost where it's, it might come off, where it almost does come off, and the rest of the time, as you say, it's like pass sideways backwards. You know, it, it's very interesting, isn't it, that we've got into this pattern. I just feel like, uh, it's you know, the solution is brilliant, but I wonder, I think pe- people could get frustrated if it carries on, if we don't vary a bit more, especially when you see, I know sp- sp- brilliantly that the Spurs game was humilia- um, humiliation for them, but that first 15 minutes, I'm like, oh my God, we never play like this. Like just the free flowing, you know, rushing forward. You know, I know they're only playing West Ham at home. It's completely different. But I think a lot of teams actually playing Man City, and Liverpool have taken the, have taken the decision to just go for it, and definitely we did not do that. And I'm fine with it. I mean, I'm fine with it on level, but I, I, I think you know, I think I think we have to be a bit more, a bit bolder, and, I, and maybe the as you say, the arrival of party and maybe going to back four. What do you think of the controversial? I mean, we should have had a penalty, shouldn't we? I mean, for me, that was the the, the high kick, the high boot. Um, yeah. I thought so, and as soon as you hear Gary Neville say that's a penalty, or I think it was on comms, um, you just think, oh, excellent, nice quick VAR review, um, put it in a net, just for half-time, happy days. But obviously they never went back to it, and it kind of got brushed under the carpet. And, and that is one of, the, one of the, um, the frustrations around VAR. We have a couple like that where you think there should be a review, we should get something out of it, and it just kind of, it just kind of evaporates into the night, and it's long gone. And Aguero, manhandling the, um, the lines person was a disgrace and again that why isn't VAR surely someone's got to see that and go that's that's at least a booking if not sending off as well isn't it I mean that's like you can't get away but he grabbed her up by the neck he put his hand around the neck absolutely unbelievable and I do think VAR is so weird like I can't get my head right I know I don't want to be one of the VAR bores you know but this weekend has been you know, Liverpool particularly affected by it more, more, much more than us. But if I'd have been a Liverpool fan, I'd been fucking like, what is the fucking point of it? It's just, it's, it, it does not. It leads to even more infuriating non decisions. I think because it's supposed to be there to sort this stuff out. So I feel it's even more infuriating than if it wasn't there at all, and it's just referees being fallible. Josh, what what would you like to see, Boyd? Would you like to see a manager be able to like have a challenge? Or something for VAR. Because Arteta, you know, talked about yeah. it straight after the game. It's It's been seen. But it, it is really strange. Although I don't think the, the uh, non-penalty we weren't ordered was probably about the fifth or sixth down on the VAR list from the, the weekend yeah, sure. in terms of poor, sure. poor decisions. But it was uh, it was really frustrating. What, what did you think then of, of Aguero? You just think he... Yeah, but do you, I think her reaction helps, doesn't it? Because she... Yeah. completely just yeah. carries on yeah. nothing. Whereas I don't know, is it her, like, should, should she be drawing the referee's attention to that well, it's happened? Is she then thinking, I don't want it to become a huge, huge issue. I don't want to be in the public no, eye. No, like, it's not her. What would have happened? Uh, it's VAR. VAR is watching all of this stuff, isn't it? Why is it VAR? VAR, as far as I understand it, the whole point of it is they watch the whole match, like a few seconds behind. So any controversial incident that the referee misses any and, and you know you cannot put your hands. A player cannot put their hands on the official, and, and I think VR should have just alerted the referee and said, "Fucking sort it out." You know, you, you, you missed it. She, you know, she, um, uh, Sean Mas- Sean Ellis was very dignified and was just trying to be dignified about it. You know, and probably was shocked. She's not expecting some fucking twat footballer to put her hand, his hand round your neck. So she was. But so I think that you know, for me, that was is a VAR issue. Raymond. But then it's up to her to to bring that to referee's attention, right? Because this yeah. is essentially an off-the-ball issue. That, And if she feels that it was an aggressive motion or, or, or whatever, that she wanted to um, object to it and, and feel that it could be a potential uh, VAR review or red card offence or whatever, she's got the power to do it. She's got that. Um, she's sure. mic'd up. She's got the, uh, the flag with the button that, that buzzes the ref and all that. So she clearly didn't feel that. 
it was that. I think it was a little bit of a storm in the teacup. It was a nice little, you know, three-second gif online afterwards, you know, so that everybody could be outraged about it. I wasn't too uh, – I didn't pay too much attention to it. If she had been offended, she she had all the tools to bring it to the referee's attention and, uh, and, and see if Aguero could get sent off. Yeah, I, I I was more outraged than you, but yeah, I mean, sure. I, th- I I still think she was just shocked about it. I think she was just too shocked to kind of process it. That was my that was my feeling, just to kind of look look on her face and everything. Josh, what are you going to say? No, I I agree with with both of you there, but I, I do think Raymond makes the point that there is some responsibility on her as an official at the game if if yeah. something has taken place that is against the rules then, okay, there's VAR. We have known VAR has missed things this season. We've had VAR referees come out, you know, and and apologise for things not being done in the way they could. So, you know, there is some responsibility to try and ensure that the the main match official is informed. But I I think with you, it's shock and possibly uh, is this going to turn into a huge issue if I draw the referee's attention, he comes over the scrutiny, I, I don't know. Maybe that played into her mind and you can well understand why it would, would have done. I think Aguero was just upset because he hadn't scored against Arsenal like he normally does. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a sh- I was amazed and shocked that, that he didn't. It was interesting, wasn't it? So, go on, Josh. You about no, say? I was going to say, were you, were you at least I mean, the new boy party came yeah, on for the, the final say. part of the game? Well, I was going to say, it's interesting. First of all, he came on for Xhaka. So I thought that was telling, you know, one might imagine if he doesn't, if he keeps this system and he keeps the two central uh, midfielders, that it would be party and um, uh, Ceballos, which is interesting, I think. And I think it does, even though Xhaka has done an amazing, had an amazing comeback since that, um, you know, when he, the, the shirt throwing incident and that, the walking and, and that moment and the com- he's had a complete resurrection and he's been but i do think when you stand back from it and you you know you think of you think of our team and the strengths of our team that is clearly you know i think party must be in in theory a step up from Xhaka. so i'm hoping i'm hoping we do see that well i think what raymond said is interesting are we potentially going to see a back four before too long and then maybe it isn't that decision board maybe there is a three Mm. that can play there in the middle and, and party joins them and we lose one of the one of the centre-backs. And, and that's interesting that Rob Holding was picked to start the game and then got injured and replaced yeah. by David Luiz, who, who did fairly well. So, yeah, I think some of the most interesting decisions are going to be whether we're sticking with this, uh, you know, are we going to have effectively a back five or three in the win bags or are we going to a four? Because you have to assume party has come to have a predominantly starting position. That's what it feels like anyway. Yeah, I'm sure he'll start the next the next league game. Yeah, I I, I, I imagine. I'd like to see Zaka in midfield with him, with them. I'd like to see you know because I, I think Zaka can be at camp. Zaka, who was our man of the match, I'm, I you know I think that was absolutely you know obvious, can be our creative force. You know wherever he's playing, pretty much. But if we're in a four three three situation, you know I, I don't know. I think he's clearly he's clear he's a really useful person to have in there. I wonder if Partey will play in the uh, some of the Europa League games. I think um, maybe him just to kind of work out where he fits. You know, a bit lower key, probably, you know, in theory lower quality opposition. Four at the back. You know, come up with his ideas to play Xhaka and himself, maybe Sabias, just in maybe one of the home games or something like that, just to kind of give him a chance to to really try it out before we get to our higher profile fixture. Yeah, you may be right. Yeah, that's a good point because we've got the Europa game on Thursday, haven't we? Against Rapid Vienna. Now, ne- our next league game is Leicester, which is a tough game. Which is maybe again might feel it's too much to to throw him in straight yeah, away. Yeah, I think we've got three weeks in a row with Europa Europa League. Yeah, which is earlier. So there is a potential in there to 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 to, to play him and, and work out the formation. Josh. Um, Boyd, obviously one of the stories that has happened in the last uh, couple of weeks since on the podcast is about the pay-per-view elements yeah. of, of Premier League football. And I think I'm right in saying that our first pay-per-view game is is the next one, isn't it? Against yeah, Leicester. Leicester. Yeah. yeah. I know that you have a wonderful big HD television. Are you <laughs> going to be paying 14.95 to have the game on? Well, to be brutally honest, I believe I get pay-per-view games. Well, I certainly get pay-per-view things 
free yeah i do does the, I mean, does I should, the postman deliver them boy the postman delivers my my pay-per-view games for free yeah certainly on sky i do i'm what well, i have to i can't lie i can't lie i think it's, it's i think it's a sky one isn't it i think i think the sunday late sunday kickoffs a sky pay-per-view so i hopefully i will get that through free but let me say right now without fear of um whatever that it is a fucking disgrace the 1495 fee. I mean, kind of the whole idea of it is a disgrace considering we're all watching these games for free until this month. Um, but 1495, I mean, fucking hell Raymond, you know, as, as part of a part of a organization that is all about supporters and you must be, you must be fairly angry about it. Yeah, I am. I'm not surprised. I mean, after all the all the free games early in the year, and, and the, you know nobody being able to attend, and it was great that they moved the kickoff times around so that every game was shown. Um, but the payoff is, you know, now now we want your money that, and that kind of thing. Obviously, a, a huge amount of us already paid for Sky Sports, paid for VT, uh, and for 14.95 per game on top. Um, it's just astonishing, really. I can't say I'm surprised, but um, it's just uh, the way of the world in 2020. Raymond, are you going to get it? The, well, the long answer, Josh, is that I'm going to moan about it and <laughs> I'm going to talk to all my friends and we're going to say how outraged we are. But the reality is this is the life of the football fan in that we are a captive audience. We know that we can't be in the stadium and with a few clicks of the remote control, yeah, we're going to debit 14.95. You can probably find a, a free stream somewhere. But, uh, you know, in the comfort of your own living room, HD, nice TV, you know, I'd rather not be uh, squatting around the laptop, that kind of stuff. So the likelihood is, yeah, we'll play for it. Your dog's expressing his opinion, his or her opinion, oh, very strongly. He is. He is. He's, uh, you know, up the workers for him, so he doesn't want to. Um, he doesn't but want to pay fourteen ninety five. No, quite right. Hopefully there'll be no dirty protests on, on uh, Sunday night. Steady. Um, I th- so I probably will pay the BT. I don't think BT will give me these games for free. I'm assuming. So I, and I'm sure I will end up paying mainly so we can do this podcast to be informed about how our team is is playing in each game. I mean, we kind of have to watch them, don't we, Josh? But uh, also, uh, did you hear? Did you see that? I didn't watch the. Obviously, I didn't. I'm not a lunatic. I didn't pay for the pay per view game last night, the Man U game. Um, but apparently, Sky didn't even have presenters or anything. They just showed the game and had you know commentator and that was it which i find find fairly extraordinary when you're paying 15 fucking quid yeah i think they've got commentator and co-commentator and you know visually you've got all the cameras and and everything like that but yeah there was no studio so at half time i think you're you're watching um pre-prepared highlights and they're being talked over and then you go from that into a break and you see graphics. So, you you know, they are doing it a, a little bit differently. You don't have quite the same um, that you did. I think they've missed somewhat of a trick because every weekend, if we're now going to have five games on pay-per-view, the vast majority of us support a club, right? Football fans support a club and, you know, Arsenal fans or Leicester fans. I think they could, they have found a way to make it like 1495 and you get, let's say there's three of them on sky. You get all three. Uh, because you're not going to pay any more anyway. Like, but if you were an Arsenal fan and you knew that you're going to get at least two other games with it, you might just feel a bit more goodwill to what's going on. If it was three games for 1495, I think they've missed a trick. So I think they're going to end up with a similar amount of money anyway, but that would have just been a way um, of making it work. What's interesting is uh, I have a bit of an affection for Leighton Orient and have a quite a lot of friends who follow Leighton Orient. They're all sitting there paying £10 a week to watch Leighton Orient and we're talking budget. We are talking one camera and like someone from the media team sitting against a green screen in what is quite a painful watch, just collectively what's going on in the football league right now. So if you compare 10 pounds for that to 1495 for like every camera and the sky sports experience, then it doesn't feel, you know, quite as, uh, as bad as it might do. Oh, that's interesting. What yeah. I'm annoyed about is there is no way that, in the normal world, there is no way that Arsenal against Leicester wouldn't have been in the normal TV selections. It would have yeah. been you know, the yeah. Sunday 2 o'clock or the 4.30 yeah. or something like that. You know, Leicester, what were they, fifth last year? We were eighth. That would have definitely been on uh, at the weekend. Um, yet they're trying to justify it, saying it's a bonus game that we wouldn't have been able to watch. I mean, there's no way in the real world that this would have been on at 3 p.m. on a Saturday. Um, 
And yeah, you're right. It wouldn't yeah. have been included. So they are putting that on top. Uh, that They are putting that on top. So, And also, if you think about it, really, not to get all kind of snowflakey about it, but you're almost encouraging people to, to, to mix households because 14.95, if your buddy down the road gets it, you're not supposed to be mixing households and you're, you're tempted to go and, you know, split the cost and, and go into, you know, go under the same roof and watch it in the same household. So there yeah. is also responsibility yeah. there for the for the broadcasters not to kind of encourage that kind of back around the back way um by making it so expensive that people will look to, to split that cost with some of their friends yeah that's absolutely true yeah because you, you know it, you can't even have it's not even the rule of six now you can't have six five friends around to watch it in your in your comfort of your home can you you just have to you can't even you can only meet am i right can we can we meet outdoors i can't depends, I'm confused. Depends, depends. depends where you are depends, depends where you are yeah. yes but yeah. you know you you tier two tier three or whatever yeah. but there are there are restrictions there and yeah. the reality is you shouldn't be going around someone's house to watch a, a match at the moment and and, and and mix in households and stuff so um I think there's a responsibility there to, to, to acknowledge that from the TV companies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I just think that the PR on this hasn't been great, but I find it difficult to get very upset right now at the idea that we might have one game that we've got to pay this when, you know, you're hearing from the West Brom supporters or I think Fulham who are going to have to pay for all three of the what's been prearranged. Like none of them were upon TV so they've yeah. got 45 quid there so it just doesn't feel quite equal which is why I think maybe they've got it slightly wrong in sort of having a uh, a sort of game by game price at the moment but I, I don't know like it's, it's incredibly difficult um, supposedly BT and Sky are doing this pretty much for the production costs only from what's been put out in the in the public domain of the press and you know the money is then being split amongst the two clubs isn't it so yeah, it'd yeah, be uh, but, interesting. I don't think we're going to get given those figures, although maybe, no. Boyd, with your connections, you'll find out. Oh, they definitely don't give the figures. Yeah, no, they're absolutely um, they're, they're staunch on that. They, they, they never tell you who watches pay-per-view games. But it'll be fun. The Orient example, is that in lieu of a season ticket, though? Do you, are, you, are they still paying for their season ticket and the 10 quid a week to watch the games? Or is it instead of? Because um, I think with I Orient, bet. it's either or. I think if you had a season ticket, you're getting it. Right. Uh, but they right. are 100%. I'm on Orient mail lists, and every bloody Friday, there's an email going, Orient Barrow tomorrow, just £10, join us. And and just having seen those emails for the last six weeks makes me think, look, I, I like Orient. I like a trip to Brisbane Road five or six times a year when I can go with friends. But to sit there on one camera with one voice uh, you know, and this isn't against Orient. There are teams much higher up the football league who are having to make do with this. And, you know, I think there's also the element at lower you go, the more you're like, you know, your money is much more important to the club and there's much more goodwill towards wanting to do it. So I'm sure I will sit and give my 10 pounds to Orient very soon, but I think I'm with Raymond there. I probably don't like it, but push comes to shove. I'll be putting my hands in the pocket and, uh, you know, we've all probably saved quite a lot of money not going to football, you know, over the last seven months. So to, to keep being able to follow it, this is the first game we're having to pay for. I fear it will certainly not be the last, will it? Because we're not going back to the stadium anytime soon. Yeah. Can I just ask Raymond, um, how, how has it been liaising with the club during this period? It's such a strange time for Red Action. Um, well, it's been similar for everyone else, really. You know, in the early days, it was, well, we'll wait and see what happens, wait and see what the government guidelines are. Um, there were a couple of fans forum meetings that uh, all of the uh, supports groups were invited to, but there was no real um, exclusives there. It was obviously they're doing what, you know, what they're taking the medical advice and, uh, you know, the government advice on no large gatherings and all that, that remains in place. There obviously were plans to get people back a couple of weeks ago, but when there was issues with the R8 and all that was cancelled. Um, so really, there is no update at the moment because obviously it's in the mainstream media. There's no way that Arsenal will be doing it, be allowed to do anything different to anyone else. So when everybody gets the opportunity to have fans in their stadium at every Premier League ground, then Arsenal will be included. But until then, it's it's just no news, and there's there aren't even any whispers of it. Um, so I certainly don't think we'll be inside the stadium in 2020, um, and whether we'll see a portion of this uh, season towards the end, it remains to be seen. But um, you know, we're just trying they're just trying to keep people healthy. Really, you don't want to you know contribute to the factor and and all the travelling. You know, a lot of Arsenal fans come from outside. Um, 
outside uh, the local catchment area so there'll be a lot of public transport um, a lot of people coming a long way to go there and all that brings its own complications um, but it's not going to happen anytime soon but Arsenal are you know they're very keen to get people back obviously they held a screening at the stadium on Saturday um, the price point again that didn't really suit yeah how much was that wasn't that like 50 quid or something it was it was 49 pounds but you did get a free bar of dairy milk at half time I believe <laughs> if, I, if I read the small amazing. print correctly amazing how many people were do you know how many people were allowed at that event at the, the I screening? think it was it was a couple of hundred as far as I, right. know. I saw some of the photographs and obviously yeah. There was, uh, you know, there was only a couple of people at each table and the tables were really distanced out and all that kind of stuff, kind of as you would expect, really, with some of the other um, some of the other events that we've seen on recently. Um, but, you know, there was a market for it. People wanted to go. I'm not sure whether people came from near or far or whatever, but obviously they made their decisions and they wanted to go. Um, but again, it's on top of your Sky Sports subscription, so I was just happy to, to watch the match at home, really. A lot of people, like, we should take a break in a second, but a lot of people, Josh, are are bewildered about how um, you're not allowed, football clubs aren't allowed to have, you know, a few thousand at least fans. Because obviously, you know, you're effectively outside. And when all the, all, when all the science suggests that this is a virus that is, that is passed around completely when you're indoors rather than outside. Um, but it's all down to, the public transport is the key, isn't it? That's the, I think that's the only, almost only reason because they can't deal with, because they would affect, there is definitely always going to be that hundreds, thousands of people coming by tube and train to the, to the, to the Emirates, isn't there? You know, so that, I feel like that's literally the, what the only thing that's stopping it. Yeah. And if, if they open up the, the well, there the, needs uh, to be the consistency. If they open up the grounds and, uh, you know, Chelsea have a home game the same days off from West Ham, for example, there's, yeah. there's people coming from all parts of London and the home counties going to different uh, different stadiums. There's a big, huge, huge pressure on the transport network. More people out and about, more people mixing indoors and trains. There is a, there is a risk associated with it. Yeah. Sorry, Josh, what were you going to say? They just be consistent. No, I mean, there's, well, you know, certainly, you know, we, we would struggle to see a situation where, um, you know, fans were, you know, we're not going to have fans coming into certain stadiums in London and not other stadiums in London. You could foresee, couldn't you, uh, if, you know, the South Coast in a couple of months' time is in a vastly different situation to Merseyside at the moment and there was a there was a way of doing it that the sort of local authorities were comfortable with, you can imagine it. I think even more bizarre than Arsenal fans being in the uh, stadium when obviously the game is going on in Manchester and the game's on Sky Sports, I think there have been situations in this country where supporters have been allowed effectively in a in a restaurant to watch on a stream at stadiums where the game is going on at the stadium and the sort of curtains have been drawn. Um, you know, that kind of, I think it did happen at a couple of football stadiums this weekend, which is, which is even more bizarre um, and very... Uh, and very sad, but um, I, I think, like Raymond said, it's it's months away, isn't it? Really, um, and we just have to get used to it. What are you missing most, Boyd? What are you missing most about your match day? Um, just the whole thing, really. The whole, you know, the the camaraderie. I know it's a cliche, um, but yeah, like you know, catching up with Dermot and Dan and whoever. And I mean, Dan's hardly ever there, but um, Dom Baldwin um, and. Uh, just that, yeah, that kind of, um, the whole thing. I was talking to my my best friend, who's a huge Liverpool fan, and this may be why he's feeling, he's he was talk, talking to me about how he's almost losing interest in, in football. And obviously, you know, this is slightly off the back of Liverpool having a bit of a disaster. I mean, they're second in the league at the moment, but so, somewhat of a disastrous time over the weekend and letting in all those goals the previous time. But he was saying how the all the, the it's confused, the, the not having any fans and the, not knowing, you know, kicking off all over the place, kickoff times. And Rain was talking about, you know, they're staggered, which is great. But now there's pay per view, and like you can, I think the seven fifteen Sunday night kickoff is a really weird one. I can't get my, I can't get used to that one. It feels very late on a Sunday to be playing football. Um, he was saying that all of it, all of that, and, and the the crazy goal situation, you know, teams letting in three, six, seven, it was getting really bewildering for him, and he couldn't, and he was starting to feel a bit weirded out by the whole thing, freaked out by the whole thing, and I. Know what he means it is it is getting quite bizarre and freaky isn't it i think one of the things that i'm missing was i think we saw in a, not necessarily arsenal related but over the weekend you know a late 
equaliser for Everton in the derby uh, in front of their home end. And obviously, yeah. the late West Ham goal uh, in front of the away end at White Hart Lane. I mean, imagine the limbs that would be going on um, in, in those two ends for, for that kind of stuff. So that kind of the celebration and enjoying the good moments. You know, obviously, they come with the bad sometimes, but that kind of celebrations where everyone's just going crazy and, and, yeah. and really yeah. kind of in the moment. That's one of the real things. And obviously, the social aspect. You know, we will obviously, I don't have as many celebrity friends as you do. But we, <laughs> My friends are all uh, no one does rather rather, rather rather normal, but you know the whole social thing and meeting up beforehand, and even the guys that you don't necessarily socialise is, but the people that you see in the grounds, and you only ever really see them at Arsenal, and you have time for a quick catch up and stuff like that, and you know yeah. it's going to be yeah. close to twelve months before we get back to that again. And yeah. even if those people that want to go back, you know, in everybody's um, circle of friends, people are talking about whether they're going to go back, whether they've actually enjoyed the break, whether they're not missing it. Um, and I think there'll be, whenever that point comes, I think there will be quite a churn um, in, in the season tickets. And there will be a lot of people who just decide that they don't need it. They don't need the cost. Um, and, uh, you know, even about, we've got this thing about how the average age of Arsenal season ticket holders being the highest in the Premier League. And obviously with the, with the nature of the, the virus and stuff like that, whether some of those fans will want to put themselves in that situation again. And then we'll, maybe we'll see a churn and, and maybe that, uh, you know, maybe that'll change the demographic at home games a little bit. God, I'm no spring chicken myself. You got, yeah. Um, I, I tell that the other thing I do miss is the, is having a nice lavish, lunch beforehand, Josh, um, with my celebrity friends and having the mad dash to get to the game on time and missing the first minute, uh, uh, you know, which, which I'm sure certain people will be furious about. Um, uh, we should take a break, though. Go on, Josh, what are you going to say? Very- I was going to say, you've got, you've got no idea what goes on at the Emirates uh, of kickoff. You, <laughs> no, you would no. have no idea if they've no. got some impressive pre-match show. You wouldn't know. Sometimes we get there, like, you know, fully five to ten minutes ahead of ahead of schedule, I have to say. Um, let's take a quick break. And after this break, I know it's very late in, in, in the in the podcast for a break, but we I, we have what I call the Meza Ozil slot, where we talk about the latest news on Meza Ozil, of which there is some genuine news, I feel, courtesy of Per Saka to discuss after this quick break. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. And we're back from the break. Um, I do like to mention Mesut Ozil every single podcast to reflect the fact that on on Arsenal um, Twitter and Arsenal social media, the, the every single time we have a shall we say slightly less than creative performance, you get the same old fucking tossers. I'm, that's you know I'm not naming names who bang on about how disgraceful it is that Ozil isn't at least on the bench. Get over it, guys. But. There is the interesting, Per Mertesacker gave an interview um, and he said, and I'm going to quote, Remez Ozil, who was not, obviously not going in the Europa League squad. He may well be removed from the Premier League squad when that's announced um, soon. So Mertesacker said, a lot has changed away from the field for Ozil. He got married, has a family, perhaps his focus has changed. I mean, that's what can you read into that? Would you like to address this very important issue, Raymond? Well, he's a busted flush and he's passed it. So uh, <laughs> wherever he's up to off the pitch uh, is obviously, uh, you know, it's not getting him back on his game. So I think, you know, a huge amount of column inches and a huge amount of discussions all the time. But uh, I think it's clear his best days are behind him. Uh, and unfortunately, we've just got this massive contract, which is a millstone around the, around the club's neck. So there may well be some off the field things, but when he's been on the field for the past however, three seasons, his contribution has been minimal also. So it's not yes. like 
uh, you know, straining at the leash and he's, uh, you know, doing all the right stuff in training and, and, and proving how he could make a contribution. It's up to him if uh, if he, you know, if he thinks he can make a contribution, he's got to prove it to Arteta, uh, you know, before each match day and before each selection. But obviously he's distracted. I think, you know, his race is run at Arsenal and I think we've all known that for, for, for 18 months or so. The contribution has been absolutely minimal. Um yeah. There are there are yeah. conspiracy theorists who say that um, he's it's all to do politics. And it's all to do with his outspoken comments about the Muslims in China. I don't believe that for a second. Do you? I just don't buy it. I don't think. I, I don't. I just don't think he's any good anymore. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's it. He doesn't fit in. But because of his his uh, his reputation and his entourage and his uh, highly skilled social media team, um, they, there there is a different spin on it. And there are a lot of people who are. You know, huge fans of Mesut Ozil and not necessarily huge fans of the, of the club that he plays for. Mm. Um, yeah. And they will always be there in the background banging the drum for him. But anybody who has watched him closely and watched him, the contribution that he has made to a team over the past probably two and a half to three seasons, um, in that it's been absolutely minimal, you know. And then each time, if he did have a seven out of ten performance or maybe get an assist or something like that, it would there would be a huge song and dance about it. And you look at some of the players that we've had at our club in the last 20 years and getting an assist, no one would even mention it because it's kind of, it's, it's just par for the course. So if you did manage to come back and, and, and maybe get an assist, we'd never hear the end of it. But <laughs> I, I don't think he'll start another game for Arsenal. Um, there's rumours about possibly paying the contract off. I think it would be, it would be the right thing to do, whether he's going to accept that or not. Um, you know, we'll have to wait and see, but his race is run at Arsenal. I don't expect to ever see him play for us again. Yeah, I agree. I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, which we, we've got. Should we move on to predictions, Josh, or have you got anything else you'd like to say about Mesut or Arsenal or anything else? Well, it was a bit surprising to see the comments come from Mertesacker, one of the players that will know him as well as anybody at the club, a former teammate of his, even going back to Bremen. Is that right? I think possibly. Yeah. Um, uh, obviously, a German international teammate, a teammate at Arsenal. And now, uh, you know, a senior figure at the club. So for him to come out and talk about his attention potentially being elsewhere is is quite damning and quite surprising that Mertz could be allowed, you know, allow himself to be asked a question on a on a podcast about it. I was quite quite surprised because you've had basically nothing from the club uh, talking about it. You know, it's kind of just there and everyone knows it's there. Um, but yeah, sadly with Raymond, I mean, it, we, we've yeah. kind of said it a few times haven't we if we don't see him in this game then that's it if we don't see him in that game that's it when we didn't see him in the Carabao Cup the other week I mean he's not in the Europa League squad so it doesn't need a great deal no the thing is I think we talked about the lack of creativity earlier uh, and unless we're scoring three four uh, goals a game and we've got an absolute star creating them for us the stories are going to keep coming up so I kind of get why that's happening because we're not creative we're not scoring many goals but uh, he is definitely not the answer no, absolutely. Yeah, he's not the answer. Um, right, we've just got time for um, the the unique element of us podcast, which is the fact that we predict every single game, uh, uh, particularly the scores of every single game. And two interesting games, the Rapid Vienna game. They are, um, as I'm sure you're aware, second in the Austrian league. They're unbeaten so far this season. Um, and they won 5-1 um, at the weekend, beating Wiener Neustadt away. Um, although that was a cup game, that was the Austrian Cup second round. Um, what do we think is going to happen, Raymond? Well, it's Europa League. Um, I'm not entirely sure, I'll be honest with you. But uh, I would imagine uh, the group games we normally do pretty good. Uh, I would go for a nice no-dramas 2-0 win to the Arsenal. And what kind of team do you think? Do you think he'll play, or, you know, would he play like a kind of... Because he's quite. It's, this is a competition we kind of, you know, we could should win maybe. Yeah, but uh, we'd have to be pretty shit to get knocked out. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it'd be interesting to see who plays in goal because obviously we're expecting to see Runison in the uh, in the Carabao Cup the other way, but Leno played again, so it'd be interesting mm. to see who's there. But we have got a big squad, um, and, and so you can kind of do that half and half. Where you'll, you'll get, um, you know, I'm not sure if he's fit, but Holding and uh, you know and, and Saka and, and Willock and and Ketia, even Lacazette. Um, and a lot of these players who aren't starting at the moment, it'll still be a strong team because we're not going to have a load of unknowns starting for us, which we might have had, uh, you know, a few days, a few weeks ago, uh, sorry, a few years ago when we had a much smaller squad. Yeah. Um, it, it should be a strong enough team to win a Europa League group game. Josh? 
Well, I, I'm glad to see that you had done similar level of research as I had into the Austrian Cup Meticulous. antics at the yeah. at the weekend. Yeah, with a with a five one um, win. Look. Um, they they were in the Champions League qualifiers, I think, and then dropped down into the Europa League. Um, were you know made out of Europa League group stages the the year before last. I think we obviously go in fairly strong favourites here. Um, I I reckon Arsenal by goal here, maybe sort of two one. I think a narrow a narrow victory for Arsenal um, to get us underway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, talking of Leonard, the goalkeeper, I, well, I meant to mention this earlier, but the parrying's got is a bit worrying. Don't you think? I, I like the parrying to forward to an opposition player, which he does. I mean, he made a couple of great saves. Don't get me wrong, but I do feel I don't know. I feel like that's the thing that's got to stop somehow. Yeah, I think it, it was definitely um, a factor in the the goal that City scored on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Um, right back out into that danger area, which is always which is always a big no no. He has been excellent for us, but he has just develop that little habit of um, parrying and instead of pushing it wide or pushing it round for a corner, right back out to the penalty spot, which is what happened on Saturday, and that did hurt us. And he never catches it, ever. I mean, like, it's incredible. I know um, Alan Alga's got a whole theory about the ball. Have you read the? Have you read about that? Yeah, I heard about that. I, I, I was laughing quite a bit. <laughs> I couldn't really focus on my screen because it was shaking as I was laughing so much, but... <laughs> Uh, I think that's typical, Alan, but uh, I'm just glad you didn't have him, have him on to talk about the Wenger book, really, because I think he would have taken it to the cleaners. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, yeah, I don't think I don't think he'll, he'll even read it. Yeah. Um, and then the, the, the really interesting game, the Leicester game on uh, Sunday night, next Sunday night, 7.15 kickoff pay-per-view. Josh, that's a tough one, isn't it? Uh, I mean... I feel like anything could happen. You, you don't have to pay a penny. I think at this stage, I'll, I'll confirm that when after it's happened. Does Sky send around like snacks as well for you <laughs> no. to enjoy these pay-per-view events? You get beers? I mean, that would be nice. It'd be great if they did. Um, I get snacks sent around for certain things, but not that, no. Right. Um, Arsenal, Leicester. Yeah, I mean, look what what a strange season they've had. Leicester already, you know, the the outstanding victory um, away at Man City, and they've you know got got thumped, didn't they, by West Ham, and then even you know Villa managed to beat them the other night. Um, look, Arsenal, we've we've been pretty true to what you'd expect so far this season. We've sort of you know managed to win the games that we probably expected to win. We've lost the ones you'd expect us to lose. And this is the first one where we're probably somewhere in the middle, right? You, yeah, we will be favorites to win the game, but he wouldn't be shocked if we didn't. Um, I think we've seen enough of positivity that we've been really tight at the back and we can make enough chances. And I'm going to go for another two, one victory boiler. I just realized I didn't predict the, um, the Europa league game. Um, which I'm sure listeners will be absolutely furious about. After all your uh, <laughs> yeah, Austrian football uh, re- exactly. research as well. Exactly. So I'm going to say for the for the um, the Europa game, I'm going to say we would in two one, um, and the Leicester game. What did you say, Josh? I said two one, um, but Vardy is back, isn't he? He missed the game. Yeah. Didn't he? Um, he always scores against us. The weekend, he is expected to be back. Yeah. yeah. Alan's favourite player. Alan Alga's favourite. Um, uh, I think it's going to be a two-all draw. How about that, Raymond? What do you think? Yeah, I think Vardy is a, is a factor. We talked about Aguero earlier. When we when we come up against these strikers who always seem to score, it, it just kind of goes on and on. But uh, I'm going to go for Aguero drawing a blank and uh, and and. and um, and Vardy as well, so I'm going to go for a, a tight one nil to Arsenal. Oh, okay, exciting. We've got we have got a difficult period coming up, haven't we? We've got, as you say, we've got Europa games every Thursday, and then in between we've got after Leicester, we've got Man United away, um, then Villa, who are currently second in the league, uh, then Leeds away, who are you know form, quite formidable in their way. So I mean, it's an intro, it's a very test. This is a you know if we come away, if in a you know a month or so's time, I don't know, we've got we're still. In the top, we're fifth at the moment. If we're still fourth or fifth, I'll be, we have to be pretty happy with that, don't we? Yeah, we've got to be taking points of these teams that we're competing for, yeah. competing with, like Leicester and Man United. So, you know, we've we got to get points there. We can get six points in those two games. Uh, I would not be worried about Leeds and Villa after that. Yeah, fair enough. Josh? No, I agree completely with Ray. I think we know so much more about what this season is going to bring for us because it would have been a huge bonus getting anything at Anfield, anything at 
the Etihads, but with where we want to be, you you know, defeats to Leicester and Man United and suddenly your, your whole season looks like a sort of six at best. That That's how much next month means. Yeah. Well, it's been a joy, Raymond. Thank you so much for coming Thank back. What, what's the name of your dog? Who Barkley. Barkley. Very Barkley. Good. So he was uh, barking a bit too much there. And he <laughs> didn't understand where the voices were coming out. So, so apologies for, um, for, for the dog presence there. No, no. But, uh, he's, uh, he's a bit of a terrier in the midfield. Oh, very good. Is he actually a terrier? No, he's not. Oh. <laughs> that, that joke would have worked so much better if he was a terrier. <laughs> Sorry for not... He's, he's a golden retriever. Oh, very good. Oh, great. Love golden retrievers. Um, dignified, dignified dogs of the dog world. Um, thank you so much, Raymond. And uh, thank you, Josh. And we'll be back. Will we be back this time next week? Yeah, we will be back next time next week. See you then. Cheers. Bye. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.